Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey guys, it's Allie for the Hollywood Life Podcast. We are kicking off today's episode with so much love because there were weddings this weekend that were so beautiful, so happy, and I will take any opportunity I can to discuss weddings. So I am obviously not alone here. Bonnie Fuller, my wonderful co-host, is here today, and we are so excited to chat first about what people are calling already the wedding of the year, which is Sophia Richie and Elliot Grange's beautiful French wedding this past weekend. It sure was, Allie. Um, I was really excited to see the pictures. I'm so glad that there, there were photos that they posted and that some of the paparazzi got. And it really was a dream wedding. So this was uh, a wedding in uh, in the south of France on the Riviera. Mm-hmm. And of course, Lionel was there and yeah. Nicole Richie and Sophia looked absolutely stunning in a Chanel wedding gown. I loved the style, the halter style. I thought it was so pretty. Yeah. And just all lace, like beautiful lace and a long train, all lace. Mm-hmm. And it, it looked really good, especially because she had an incredibly long uh, runway. Walk, like, long aisle. She yeah, that aisle. <laughs> a seven minute walk to the huppa that she got married under. <laughs> Seven minute minute walk. Uh, And I like for her, I I was thinking about this, like, you know, if that's what the bride wants, like it's what the bride wants and she wants to do the whole thing. And I'm sure it was a massive wedding too. So they needed all of the space for the people. But I was thinking about mostly like the bridesmaids, like that's a long walk for like someone who doesn't have much skin in the game, you know, like, (laughs) like, like Sophia's anxious to get down there, but they're kind of like, I have to walk for seven minutes to get down in like these heels. Um, I don't think I've ever seen, like, even when we're, we're, we're going to talk about the King Charles coronation coming up. Does it even take seven minutes for him to to come into the coronation? (laughs) I know. Um, so yes, exactly. Bonnie, she wore, um, she actually had three Chanel looks, uh, that were made in the atelier for, the big day. She had a beautiful, um, it was a like a high neck halter, kind of low back, full lace gown. Uh, the next one she wore was this kind of overlay, uh, or that this was for her uh, rehearsal dinner. It was like an overlay of white, uh, like beading, beautiful, long sleeve, high neck dress. And then of course, her second look of her wedding was uh, this Chanel mini that was based off of a Claudia runway look that was adorable. Um, Really, really cute. And something that I loved that she did throughout the weekend was she made herself so relatable. She posted every single day on TikTok doing these get ready with me's where she was like, okay, I'm 
getting ready to go sit at the pool with everybody. So I'm going to do this basic beauty look and like, let me show you my outfit. And it really brought her down to earth. I don't even know if I'd ever heard her speak really before. Like, and so it was, I loved that about her and her giving people really like a great inside look on the day. And the weekend. Yeah, she really shared. She shared with the fans, which I love too, because listen, I understand celebrities want privacy, but you've got a lot of fans and Sophia's got a huge Instagram following and people of course are familiar with her because she dated Justin Bieber and then she dated Scott Disick for years. And then her father's the star of one of the biggest, I mean, aside from the fact that he's a music legend, but he's yeah, star of one of the best shows on TV, like American yeah. Idol. But like even beyond that, Lionel Richie was oh, Lionel yeah. Richie way before yeah, he's American a legend. Idol. He's an icon. Um, and, you know, of course, her sister's Nicole Richie. And I loved the fact, so, so, uh, so Nicole is married to, um, Benji, uh, right? No, Cameron no, Diaz Joel. and Benji Madden are married. <laughs> and then Joel Madden, I know my like 90s is showing, Joel Madden yeah. and Nicole Richie are married. So what I thought was so cool, so obviously Benji and Joel are the members of Good Charlotte, which is such a great like punk rock band that I grew up with. And um, they performed some of their songs at the party. Sophia's on stage jumping around. Like it looked like such a blast. Um, Lionel performed as well, gave a little speech. And he was so cute walking Sophia down the aisle. For seven minutes. (laughs) For seven minutes. Good for him. Um, And, you know, we have this footage of Nicole fixing Sophia's dress and Cameron Diaz and um, their child were there. And so it just looked like a really beautiful, happy family uh, event. The family just happens to be stars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But Lionel is, is you know, always so down to earth. And I actually had the privilege of meeting him uh, several years ago at an event that he was featured in. And he was so charming and so friendly and everything to everybody and chit-chatting. And of course, you know, he's so warm to all the contestants. And so I think, you know, that was, is so, you know, his warmth and the family, you know, style just came through. His his girlfriend was there and you could see she was joining and everything. But I, when you brought up the bridesmaids, I just wonder about like walking in heels down an aisle for seven minutes. Also, like, like, do you start to sweat? (laughs) <laughs> like what, like, I, you know, I don't know, what am, what am I going to look like? I'm going to look different from the start of the aisle to the, but you know, it really was so beautiful Um, the whole thing. And I, and I, it seemed like the guests were just so um happy and, and everybody was documenting really? it. Yeah. Like what's not to be happy about. Yeah. You're in the South of France, but um, it, and, and it just, it was beautiful. Um. And I loved really just like I said, how open she was about it and uh and shared it with the with the world. I thought that that was and so she, special. Now she's a young bride. She's just 24. Mm-hmm. Her um new husband is 29. So uh, young I, yeah. Yeah, 29, 30. Um, 
And something else too, that I thought was really powerful and just like human was she opened up about converting to Judaism prior to the wedding and that it was such a beautiful experience for her. Um, and they had a traditional Jewish wedding. They got married under the chuppah with their families there. Um, all kinds of flowers and branches. It's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. She, and she went up in the chair and they did the hora. And I, I love seeing traditions like that, you know, be played out and shared with the world. Uh, so very mazel tov to them, I, we can say. <laughs> yeah. And what was interesting, too, is that her husband, um, Elliot Grange, he is the son of a huge music company label. And um, he and, and Lionel have known each other for decades. Yeah. Like they're old, old friends. Like this family has known the Ritchie family for years. So it's kind of like a perfect match for the families as well. Very special, especially after you saw her with Scott Disick for so long. And like, yeah. that just wasn't the relationship for her. Like, it, I mean, sure, no. she had, had to go through it to to meet this guy and get here. But um, I'm happy that she found that and she found who she was supposed to be with. Scott is not, you know, been able to commit to anybody yet. You know, he couldn't commit to Courtney, couldn't commit to her. Like, it's just, it, it, it of course. And she was so young to be involved so with a guy young. who was so much older because Scott was 38 when she was only probably 19, about 19 20. Yeah. So, her, you know, all around her parents are just so much happier. Oh, I'm sure. With her with a guy who's, her age and they've got so much in common. Now, speaking also of happy weddings, uh, Simone Biles and Jonathan yeah. Owens went to the courthouse and they got married this weekend. Yes, they did. It, it definitely makes me think that they're doing a uh, an international wedding because uh, yes. a lot of people when they when they do international weddings, so Sophia and, and Elliot did the same thing. They go to the courthouse and and make things officially official, and that is cause for celebration always, anyway. Um, so yes, and she, I loved. She wore like an a hundred dollar dress, uh, <laughs> like thirty something dollar shoes, and she looked fabulous. And fabulous. There's no great. way that you would have gone. That's a hundred dollar dress. Oh no, and also like good for like nobody needs a like you know million dollar dress to go to the courthouse and uh it was special to her and she looked amazing and he like I kept zooming in on his face in the photos because I don't think he could smile any bigger than uh -huh. he was he yeah. was beaming yeah yeah and now I think that they did make a you know they they made this very special going to the courthouse to do the official marriage so that then they don't have to worry about trying in a, a foreign country to get all the right papers well, to make yes, it you actually you can't like when when you're getting married abroad you have to get officially married in um you know a marriage America. license US marriage license yes right. and even so I mean we're actually I'm going to do uh we're gonna do a little city hall in New York moment because we're getting married in Nashville and my fiance is born and raised in the city and he was like there is no way in heck my wedding, uh -huh. my marriage license is going to say from the state of Tennessee. It's going to say <laughs> New York. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. So, totally. 
feel that, understand that. Yes, I felt like you would. Um, but yes, she looked so beautiful. Um, they did this in Houston. Uh, and then they had a little celebration afterwards, just the two of them sitting poolside, yeah. fruit and just celebrating being like officially married, which is a massive deal. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Courtney and Travis, I guess they kind of did that too. Yeah. Remember Courtney Kardashian? They went to yes. Las Vegas. Well, the and, Vegas one was like not even real. Oh, real? But then they had the Santa Barbara. They went to the Justice of the Peace with, and they brought MJ as her as their witness because she couldn't go to Italy. Um, right. Her grandmother, and so you know, I think that that was was uh, exactly Italy. Uh, but you know, something that I did want to point out is that Simone and I, and I, as we're talking about this, I kind of was looking things up. Um, people were being really mean about her hair in her wedding photos. What? And she was just forced to respond. Um, people were writing her, you know, her hair is a mess. Um, you know, her edges should have been laid. Like all of these just like mean, mean What's things. wrong with people? Um, and so she hit back at, at these nasty people. She said, the haters forget that I live in Houston, Texas, and I <laughs> I was sweating. It's hot. Yeah. Uh, as soon as we stepped out for photos, uh, but keep complaining. I don't care. Um, you know, she looked absolutely beautiful. She had her hair pulled back in a stunning, long, gorgeous ponytail and like, shut your mouths. Yeah. Yeah. If you <laughs> haven't these people ever heard of, if you don't have anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. Yeah. And also you're talking to like the goat here. Like she has yes. won gold medal after gold medal. Like you think this woman doesn't know how to do her hair? Like she's doing her hair as she wants to do her hair. Shut up. Yeah. And who cares what her hair looks like? Can you do one of those triple turn tumbles off a vault? Like, come on. Or was it even a quadruple? So like, yeah. No one's interested in 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 your hate, hate, hater comments. Now mm -mm. yeah. Speaking of um, kind of controversy in a way, uh, we're, we're looking forward to it's the coronation of King Charles III coming up on May 5th, I think it is. Yeah. Let me just, yep, yeah, May 5th, Saturday, May 5th. So I fully intend to get up at 5 a.m. What about you, Allie? You know, I... I don't think I'll get up at 5 a.m., but like I'm excited to watch the recap and read it all on HollywoodLife.com. Um, I think that, like, I just don't like King Charles, so I don't really. Feel I'm not. Like a, I'm not a huge fan, but there's no way I'm going to miss a royal coronation. Coronation, yeah. No, I mean, for about it, Allie. There has not been a coronation in like 60 years. Yeah. If Adele was, was performing, I would watch. <laughs> oh, oh, I know, but Queen Elizabeth, like she had her coronation in something like 1954. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, this is a once, could be a once in a lifetime. Well, probably not because he's 70. But if he's like the yeah, queen, yeah. he's going to live another 20, 25 years. So, yeah. you know, I once in a lifetime. I think that I would, I'm more interested that in like the dynamics, like the family dynamics. And so I would turn it on to see like if Harry throws an eye roll or if like a fight <laughs> breaks out, like things get like, you know, I'm, I'm there for like the American, like 
gossip, <laughs> like not how like the English are the most like pristine put together people in the world. And I like, I want like someone to like rough someone up, <laughs> um, uh, which I doubt's going to happen, but um, I don't think so. But I, you know, of course it's a big day and there's a lot riding on it. There's a lot that has been leading up to it. Um, obviously we know that Prince Harry is attending without his family. Um, and we don't necessarily know why Megan's not coming. I mean, it's Archie's birthday. So, uh, she, I guess that was kind of the reasoning, like she's going to be home celebrating the birthday. There's also uh, rumors that about this letter that she wrote to the king um, about him having like a bias and an unconscious bias uh, yeah, against her son. And so, you know, I, I, I'm curious, but also I'm not that surprised. I'm not surprised she's not going. You know, why would she put herself through that? Why would Harry put her through that? Because the amount of hate that she will get when, like, talk about trolling for going and showing up. I mean, the papers, the tabloids all over yeah. there, they're just vicious about her. I don't know why. I mean, people say it's racist. Um, I, I can't think of any other reason. But like right from the start that they've pitted her also against Kate, mm -hmm. like sort of tried to make competition between her and Kate. Yeah. And so why go and subject yourself to that when, yeah, yeah you don't need to, like you, yeah. you don't need to, that's not necessary. Right. I think it's like more sad for, uh, for, for really for the Royal family. Like mm -hmm. they, they did push Harry and Meghan out. Yeah. And, I mean, Charles and William have really pushed him out. There was no need for it to ever get to this point. And I understand now he wrote his book and, you know, he really told the story of his, his childhood and his growing up and what happened when he and Megan first got together. But I mean, they, they are family. Mm -hmm. And I understand that this is like the firm, it's a business, but you don't have to, to ever treat your son and his wife this way ever. And I, I agree that I, I don't think that they treated her right from the start. Yeah. Well, and it's just like you said, you know, why subject yourself to like the mental turmoil that you yes. know, undoubtedly will receive and, and get like, she's taken so many steps for herself as, as she, that, you know, she said to recover from this and to get out of the depression that she yeah. put in and, and suicidal thoughts and like this terrible state, like to, you know, the, the, the definition of insanity is going and doing the same thing over and over yeah. and over again. So, you know, if she doesn't really have to be there, like, let's not do it. And yeah. you don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. Let's not, let's not act here. You know, let's save ourselves the, the drama torture and also listen is you know princess diana she tried to get out of the spotlight after she and 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 charles divorced like you mm -hmm. know there was a lot of drama around the divorce and interviews on television but then she really did try and get out and the press there just would not leave her alone right so as long as this is gonna just end it, it won't it sells papers it sells it gets tv ratings why would why would they stop there's no incentive for them to stop mm -hmm. and so you know why put yourself out there to give them bait mm -hmm. and for, 
you know, them to say, like, if you look, they catch a photo of you looking, I don't know, the wrong direction, then they create something out of it. Absolutely. Um, So I think it's, listen, it's Charles lost that he's not has, doesn't have a relationship with his grandchildren and with his, his son. mm -hmm. Very sad. Absolutely. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But of course, as I said, I will be reading everything on Hollywood Life. Um, and all of our listeners should be reading everything on Hollywood Life as well. And looking at all the pictures. We'll have all of the photos all the from photos, the big event. Everything. Um, and and- actually, we should have mentioned that we have got, you know, great photos from Sophia Ritchie's oh, yeah. wedding. And gorgeous photo of her gown. A, a really great photo of Cameron Diaz, who's so rarely seen. Yeah. And with... Her daughter, who is like never seen, so got really good pictures to take a look at on Hollywood Life. Yes, we do. Um, and also, of course, quick mention of the Met Gala that's coming up on Monday. We're going to have full coverage of all of that. So um, stay tuned. I know we had talked briefly about uh, the, you know, I think we're expecting at least Kim Kardashian. We'll see if the rest of the Kardashians got the invite, but, um, it's going to be a good one this year. So I'm excited. It's going to be a huge and, um, but you know, I guess, uh, yes, I, I being a, uh, Commonwealther since I'm Canadian, I have to get through the Met Gala, which will be a very exciting evening. But I'm getting my scones and my clotted cream ready, Allie. So if you change your mind and you want to join me here, okay, we can have tea and scones and clotted cream. That sounds lovely. I would do it for tea and scones. I'm not doing it for (laughs) clotted (laughs) cream. I would do it for the tea and the scones. I'll even find some hats. We could put on fancy hats. Some like faceters or whatever they're called. Yeah, Fascinators. I don't know. Fascinators. I (laughs) I like that idea though. I do like that idea. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you for listening. Let us know all of your thoughts uh, on the coronation and of course, um, all the wedding talk and be sure to subscribe so you can get our uh, podcast every Tuesday. We love that you guys are listening. Yeah. And stay tuned for our interview. Yes. Yes. Our interview this week uh, with Sammy Gale. We have a fabulous Broadway star in our midst. uh, So stay tuned. Coming up next. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey guys, it's Allie with the Hollywood Life Podcast, and we have such a special guest today who I'm so excited to talk to. She's been on the podcast before a few years ago. Now she's back on with a totally new, new role in a entirely new, different medium than we talked to her about before. Um, as we're gearing up towards Tony season, we always love to have people from the Broadway community come on the show, especially since we are Hollywood life based in New York city. So I'm so excited to welcome from bad Cinderella, Sammy Gale. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. 
Of course. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you play a vain, but like super cute, evil stepsister, <laughs> Adele in Andrew Lloyd Webber's newest show, Bad Cinderella on Broadway, came over from the West End uh, just a month or so ago. Very new to the scene. Tell me a little bit about how it has been, you know, putting together this show and then bringing it to life the last few weeks. It's been an absolutely incredible experience. I haven't been on Broadway in I think 15 years. I started my career on Broadway, so that's my first love, but then found other loves in TV and film and stuck with that for a very long time. But I think there was always something itching in me to eventually get back to Broadway. So to be able to come back as an adult when I can really understand what a special opportunity it is to be on Broadway. Not that I didn't understand it as a child, but you know, as a child, I was in Gypsy with Patti Lapone and I was working with Arthur Lawrence who wrote Gypsy and West Side Story and the way wow. we were. And I got the sense that what was happening around me was special, but I didn't fully understand it because I was 11. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so now coming back to it, I think I have just this renewed energy because I understand that working, originating a role in an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical is a once in a lifetime experience. I mean, look, I hope I get to do it again, but right. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's not something that happens every day. So I really just go to work pinching myself and I've been trying to be extremely present to take advantage of every aspect of the process, whether it be sitting in the rehearsal room when I'm not rehearsing just to learn from the other people around me or when we're in tech. Um, I sat with our lighting designer, Bruno, for many days at a time, just watching how he worked to understand how the lighting adds to what you see on stage. And, you know, I sat with the sound designer to do the same. So, you know, I think just taking advantage of all aspects of the process um, has been my biggest takeaway, especially as someone, I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit, who has aspirations of being a producer as well and has done producing work in the past. Um, but as an actor, you know, also getting to be in front of a live audience and getting to act on stage with yeah. people live every night is just an unparalleled feeling and I'm very grateful. Yeah, it's so cool that you started your career there and kind of learned about the industry and, and found your way back. And I've, I've found that with so many people, um, so many stars that you kind of see, you know, begin their life on the stage and, and go to other things, but they always return to this like original form of acting, which is the theater, which is live performances. Um, tell me a little bit about the role of Adele. What drew you to her and a little bit of the process of getting the role in the first place? Sure, absolutely. So maybe I'll reverse answer to your question. I'll start yeah. with getting the role and then uh, yeah. go to who Adele is. Um, so I got a text from my agent while I was at business school. Uh, during COVID, I took the GRE because I realized that was one of the only times I would potentially have off enough time. <laughs> to do that. Um, and I ended up going to Wharton Business School. Uh, I finished that in about a year and a half, got my MBA. Um, and during that time in January or February of last year, I got a call from my agent saying that I needed to go to New York immediately and audition for this role in Bad Cinderella. And I remember thinking, 
Andrew Lloyd Webber, you're going to put me in front of Andrew Lloyd Webber with less than 24 hours of preparation. I haven't done Broadway in so many years. And um, my manager said to me, he was like, you need to go in for this. <laughs> you're no, I hadn't even read the script. I was just freaking out. I was like, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh my God, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber. I was like, I need to prepare. Get me more days. He's like, you don't have more days. You're going to go in tomorrow. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like, right. Okay. We all need that energy. And so I went in and it was a very short process. I went in the first time I met with the director or music director, I think Kristen um, and maybe one or two other people in the casting director. And the next time I went in a couple days later, there was a room of 40 people. This was my first in-person audition since COVID. And I was all of a sudden in front of Angela <laughs> as one of those 40. And it was a surreal experience. I can always feel when I read a script, there are those special roles that you just kind of know are meant for you. And yeah. I just kind of understood how to play her at first glance of the sides without even having read the entirety of the script. And then obviously I did that. Um, <laughs> but you just feel this like sense of connection. And it felt to me like she was very much like a character I didn't get to play earlier on in my career. I ended up turning down a role to do Blue Bloods, uh, but I also really liked that role. And it felt like this reimagined opportunity as an adult to play that. Um, and so I feel like I went into the audition and I gave my all. And when I walked out, I called my manager and I said, look, if I get it, amazing, because I really want this and please go after this. But if I don't, I really feel like I gave everything I could. Right. Um, and that's all that matters. And, and I think when you feel that kind of connectivity in the audition room, it usually translates, hopefully, um, to getting the job because it's very rare. I don't feel that mm -hmm. every role. Mm -hmm. um, and that was it. Like about a week later, I was with business school friends traveling as business school students do. And they called me and they said that I would get to be back on Broadway for the first time in 15 years. And then to the role of Adele, uh, what attracted me to her is she's very different from me. I find acting is about professional empathizing. It's about stepping into the shoes of someone who is different from you and understanding the world through their eyes and becoming empathetic with other people through that exercise. Because I think a lot of us feel that we're different from others around us. But when you do the work of stepping into the shoes of other people, you realize we're actually quite similar and we want quite similar things, even if we go about getting them different ways. And I think for Adele, Adele is someone who knows how to use her brand to get what she wants. And what she wants is something that I could connect to. It's love and fulfillment. I think Adele searches for that in all the wrong things. She looks for it in wealth and power and status and a prince. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, she's looking for love and fulfillment, which she didn't get growing up because she had an evil stepmom. Right. And right. so Adele's journey is about discovering that fulfillment and love come from connectivity and from your own self. You don't need validation necessarily from all these other things. You need to be able to do what you want um, and, and find what you want. And I think for her, it's kind of a more simple thing. It's that she wants to date this baker mm -hmm. um, and she gets to, she gets to do that um, in the end. I hope we're not sharing too much. No, I was going to say, I mean, yeah, like without spoiling too much that I was going to ask next, like, do you think that she finds that in the end through dating the baker that does she find her 
like the lesson that she needed to learn that I she think, I, I think in the end Adele realizes that all her life she's been doing what her mother wants and following mm. her lead instead of her own voice and I think at the end of the day she follows her own voice which is going after the person that she wants to go after mm -hmm. Something that I loved and recognized obviously immediately that it was a clear choice that you are making as the character is your, what you call your pink steel face. Um, I, first of all, I was I'm, like, I'm going to have major wrinkles from this. I was going to ask what your face. I was going to ask by the end, are these muscles going? You know, by the wedding, sometimes only in the last like week or two, I've started feeling like a slight twitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I, it's funny as baby June, when I did gypsy 15 years ago, I smiled so much and that's like doing the reverse. Yeah. Because this is like pink steel is like a pucker and smiling is right. Lifting your cheekbones up. And so I feel like I always was scared that I was going to get laugh lines from smiling so much as a kid doing gypsy. Cause it was like 30 minutes every night, no stopping. Like <laughs> so now I feel like I'm just doing the reverse to help with the smile lines. I'm now doing the pucker face, which relaxes that part, but now we're getting the lip, you know, wrinkles. So we'll see. <laughs> so going back to this um, pink steel face that you came up with, was that a decision that you made for the character or was that something you and Andrew came up with together? No, that was something I made for the character. We were staging the wedding was when pink steel first came to be and it actually wasn't after blue steel um I, I watched zoolander because someone told me what i was doing looked like zoolander yeah. and i saw blue steel and i was like oh this is pink steel but <laughs> i just originally conceived of the character as always being in a photo shoot or on a runway so in the rehearsal room, it was actually much more exaggerated. Every single line I had, had a pose attached to it. And that was kind of me pushing to do that. And I think it was because we didn't have all of the costumes yet. And the costumes ended up doing a lot of the work for me. So then we ended up reining that in and sort of naturalizing her a bit. But in the room, in order to differentiate the character, because I didn't have the costume, I felt like we needed to do it with the performance. So, and I think that going like 120 and then bringing it back to 100 is really important because it allowed me to find 100 mm -hmm. versus like not having ever put a pose to every line. I don't know that we ever would have had Adele do that at all. Mm -hmm. And now we're kind of in this like sweet spot, which the director helped me find, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but so we were doing the wedding and we decided that she was going to be like almost trashy, like walking down the aisle as if she was on a runway. Um, but like making these very, not like a gorgeous model, like making these very exaggerated, like slapstick moves with ending the bouquet and like throwing it at her sister. And it was just, it was so over the top that it, I think in the end took away from the wedding. So we reined it in. But at that point is when I discovered like the faces and I realized that what she was thinking was not, oh my God, the prince is so hot, but oh my God, I'm so hot. <laughs> so I discovered these two faces, which was first walking down the aisle with the pucker and then midway through opening my mouth 
having this thought like, oh my God, I'm so hot and just keeping it open, catching flies for like the rest of the wedding. <laughs> Everyone was laughing to the point where like Jordan and I, Jordan co-stars and God's in girl with me. We couldn't get through the scene without laughing to the point where everyone I think was getting annoyed because they couldn't stop laughing. We couldn't stop laughing. It was just so difficult. <laughs> but I realized that if this was going to happen, like it had to track through the whole performance. So then I went back through every scene and found where we integrate these two faces as her brand, right? Because Adele is very much like using these coveted faces or like playing into certain parts of her personality to get what she wants. And so I put that everywhere through the show. The only place it now really doesn't stay <laughs> is in the wedding. I mean, I come out with a pucker face, but we don't have the, oh my God, I'm so hot face anymore, which is kind of ironic because that's where I discovered it. But this is a long story to, to tell you that- Oh, I was so um, interested. It, I it, was it, <laughs> it ends up being the entire performance, except really the part that we, crafted it for um but that was I think that's one of my biggest contributions to yeah. <laughs> how, how long um does it take you to transform and be transformed into Adele before each performance so for a while it was taking uh, probably up until the opening all of my life <laughs> on a daily basis. <laughs> so I was eating differently. I was not doing certain things. Um, I very much was living just for Adele. Um, I think in the last couple of weeks as I've started to do Blue Bloods and other things, I've been able to figure out how we get ready for Adele an hour before the performance. Um, and then live as Adele for the performance. And then, you know, I'm able to go out and see friends and have a life. Um, but I really, I love her so much and I care so deeply about her that pretty much up until opening my entire life was her. I, it's down to my cell phone. I mean, like I don't have any pictures on my phone when I open it, except her dresses. Because when I'm in the show, if I open my phone to see something or to see notes from our associate director, I don't want to see like real life because she doesn't live in real life. Um, I want to see her dresses and I want to kind of be in that world of clothing and vanity. And that's not me in real life. So, I mean, it's, it's really taken a lot <laughs> to, to get there. I mean, down also to the clothes, everyone will tell you, I think I might've been the only person like this in our rehearsals, but every day I wore either Love Shack Fancy or something reminiscent of that vibe because when I didn't have the costumes, I felt it was so important that I felt like her every day. I was wearing pink, I was wearing a floral, something with hearts on it. I wore a lot of Le Leon, this other brand um, that has like a lot of fun girly vibes. I usually wear black all the time or like something like this, like geometric, basic. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's definitely been a, a big stretch for me. And I think that all of the things um, around me and in my environment have really helped me to get into the role. I don't know if you've seen a picture of my dressing room, but that too, there's, there's flowers everywhere. It's all pink. Um, so I really do believe in method acting in that sense. Nicholas Cage kind of taught me this when I started my career. Um, it's very important what you're doing, like around playing the character to help you get into that headspace. 
especially when you're on stage doing it live every single day, sometimes twice a day. You can't necessarily like afford to slip out for a sec while you go like grab a a sip of water or something because you have to go right back on. (laughs) Great. Lifestyle change. I think people don't necessarily realize like being able to sing eight times a week. I'm talking to you now, but I do not talk on Mondays. I don't talk on Tuesdays before the show. I try to limit speaking as much as possible. Um, You know, there's other things. Sleep is really important. My voice is extremely high um, in the show. So, you know, being able to get to that requires a different, you know, no dairy, no gluten, like all sorts of (laughs) things I never did in my life. Um, You know, I don't think people, I mean, I would imagine like just watching the show, like there's so much exercise in the show for everybody, whether you're a main dancer or not, but there's just so much movement. And I don't think people realize the demands that it physically makes to your, even to your voice and to to your face um, for performing um, in a a show like this on Broadway. And that's so uh, interesting. Like, you know, we hear about opera singers, they don't talk, but yeah, I imagine you do have to preserve your voice and and just like let it rest. But I didn't know dairy could affect your voice and other kinds of food. Yeah, yeah so I, I'm fine to eat gluten and dairy, although now my body, I think, kind of rejects it because I've stopped eating. <laughs> but yeah, dairy and gluten can cause additional mucus in your throat and you want to keep everything as clear as possible. Um, so they say before you sing, you really shouldn't be eating either of those things. The good thing about the show is that I don't have to work out anymore between the stairs. <laughs> we do Every time we cross um, from one side of the stage to the other without being on stage, it requires two flights of stairs up and down. Plus my dressing room is on the fourth floor. So you can imagine I'm doing probably a hundred flights of stairs a day. So I don't work out anymore, which is awesome. <laughs> I literally made a note during the show. Ask Sammy what she does to work out because her arms look so good. <laughs> Your mom told me this the other day too. She was like, "Your arm definition." I think Your it's because I've stopped doing everything. I used to. I have an amazing trainer. I love her. She's a senior instructor. Aries, yeah. um, and. I haven't worked with her once since we started. I have to get on Broadway before the wedding. Yeah. <laughs> that is what I must do. As a weight loss program and Tony. But what you do? Oh, I just went on Broadway. Well, but the thing is when you combine, right? No gluten, no dairy. This must do something to your body. On Sundays, I do eat whatever I want. Yeah. And on Mondays too. Um, but then your body starts rejecting things. And then all of a sudden you stop eating all this stuff. So there's an element of that too. Um, But you got to be also well-nourished because it's like, you got to keep your body healthy and able to withstand this type of, um, you know, activity. Yeah. Yeah. what What do you do on Sundays and Mondays? Like, how do you crash? Because even though the show, I mean, it starts at seven at night, I'm sure you have to be there a couple hours ahead and then it takes time to wind down. Like everything has to revolve around it every single day. And and you're doing the show for potentially months at a time. 
Yeah, I will sometimes go out for a coffee with friends after if I have people come to see, but I am pretty strict about using a blackboard um, so that I'm not talking. Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as going to sleep on Sunday, I usually like to go out to dinner on a Sunday because I do have the night off. Um, and then I just try to watch a movie, chill. I have been working a lot on Mondays, which has been really nice. Um, I did Blue Bloods. Um, I did a podcast last or two weeks ago. Very interesting um, podcast where uh, I think it's, it's produced by Patti LuPone, where um, people are like very famous actors and actresses are reading uh, short stories by writers like Hemingway. So I did that. So I'm always doing something on um, a day off. Mm -hmm. It's not like I'm just totally chilling out, whether it's press or blue bloods or something. Um, but when I'm not doing that, I try to be silent, go for walks. I try not to bulk up as Adele. So you're just talking about the arms. That's kind of from not, I used to run. I don't do that anymore. So I take extensive walks. Like before this, I, I was in Tribeca and I came back up to Midtown um but other than that I just try to chill this is like the second week that I've seen friends on a Monday so that's been nice um but up until then I've, I've just been really work 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 because I, I graduated business school two days before we started this job and then I've been wow, congratulations what, what's you. your what so what type of business like you went to Columbia right and Wharton. I went to Wharton for MBA oh Wharton really you completed your MBA already in a year and a half, I, because I got the job while I was doing that, I realized I needed to expedite the MBA. So I did, over the summer, they had summer courses you could take online. So I decided, because I was doing Blue Bloods growing up, and when I was at Columbia, I did Blue Bloods the whole time. I decided I would take these summer classes and travel abroad over the summer and do my like sophomore college travels, but as an adult, because <laughs> I never had that experience. Um, so that's what I did and then I finished. Um, and the idea with that was, I think I spoke to you about candy jar with my brother, Chad, and he right. found a lot of success in, in making that movie. And we wanna continue making those types of films that we wish we would have seen growing up. And up until this point, we worked with an amazing producing partner uh, who has personally taught me the importance of being able to do things on your own. She's continuing to produce our other projects, um, as well as we have other people on other projects too. Um, but I think long-term, I wanna be able to handle the business of our production, not just the creative side of it. So I thought in order to do that, because unfortunately there's this misconception, I think in the business of you're either a business person or a creative person and not both. Mm -hmm. uh, it felt like I needed an additional stamp in order to get taken seriously as a producer, not just as an actor. And so I thought Wharton was a, a great way to do that. It was a place that there weren't a lot of actors and I wanted to hopefully pave the way so that someone else, another creative coming to the school could see me and think, oh, this is a place for me too, because that wasn't the case for me coming into it. I couldn't find anyone like myself. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, hopefully that will enable me through the network and through what I've learned uh, to produce my brother's and other people's content on my own long term. Because I think, especially with the evolution of streaming services um, and all of the different mediums that we now have, 
through which we can put content, you know, on screen or on stage or whatever. Um, it's important to be able to leverage those things so I can continue to be an actor. That's my first and, you know, that's my love. <laughs> um, but, but so that I can make things that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I, I've actually, I've always been interested in producing Broadway too. I think that it's just like such a great kind of addition, additional career, kind of like you were saying, like not your first love, but just something in addition. Um, have you through this experience now that you are on Broadway as an adult, um, have you been able to explore that more? And like, have you had conversations with Andrew Lloyd Webber and, you know, people about um, wanting to explore that? I've definitely shared my producing aspirations with our creative and producing team. I think actually in the next couple of weeks, um, I'm going to more actively have conversations with people now that we're open. I think that was, yeah. <laughs> I first had to get open and like do the actual job, right? Uh, before you can start moving on to these higher order concerns. Right. Uh, but, but yeah, I definitely have plans to ask our incredible producers um, how they've done it and, and how it all works. Cause I think I have a pretty good idea of how it works in film, but Broadway, um, I think I have less of an understanding. And so I always said my dream would be, you know, like while I was doing this, if there was some way over the summer I could work out where I could like work on the show as an actor during the day and then like trail someone as a producer on the show. Like totally. Sorry, <laughs> work on the show as an actor at night and then trail someone as a producer during the day that would be the dream to get to learn about it from from all sides of the process mm-hmm. call yeah. daryl roth ask her <laughs> to shadow her for a moment <laughs> <laughs> well that so, is gonna yeah that's probably the next step that's the idea <laughs> how involved was andrew lloyd weber in in actually in the production i mean the night i was there he made a surprise appearance and came out and introduced the show and talked about how he felt that you were the best cast that he's ever worked with. Like that is a huge compliment when you think of everything he's done, like beyond. Yeah. And, um, and so how much of a presence was he? He was a huge presence. I feel like I've never worked with a producing team that has been more supportive of the company in my life specifically with regards to Andrew. You know, Andrew was there, we did a workshop in October. He was there every single day working through different things, um, entirely accessible. <laughs> I was just like pinching myself every day that I would like go to work and see him like waiting for the elevator. And then we'd like go outside and like look at what was happening on the street together. <laughs> you know, it was like, very casual. He has a wonderful sense of humor and a very loving person. Uh, and I was just always shocked at this, funny man that I got to talk to and hang out with was also like Andrew Lidweber. <laughs> an icon, the legend. Yes. Um, but, you know, he's so, he's attentive to every instrument and mm. every single pitch coming out of every person's mouth and instrument. And it just reminds you to be attentive to detail, which is something I feel is very important in both theater and the arts more generally, Uh, but I've just never seen anything quite like it, how he can hear these intricate little tiny things and he'll adjust them and you hear a big difference, but from a very small 
adjustment. It's kind of amazing. Um, but yeah, he came backstage before he went on stage the night that you came to the performance, Bonnie, um, and just had the kindest words and is going through such a difficult time. Oh, yeah. Past. yeah, losing his, his son. I, I, I cannot even imagine, uh, but the fact that he still made the effort to yeah. come back so soon after um, and to show his love and support was really touching um, to the entire cast and crew. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, did he, um, when you guys were building the show that was going to be on Broadway, um, he had been, so the original for people listening, the original um, Bad Cinderella was actually just called Cinderella when it was performed in the West End in London. It was the first show to reopen back on the West End um, after the pandemic. And um, it was a huge hit over there. So of course, came over to Broadway with an entirely new cast. Um, did he compare and contrast at all when you guys were building what was going to be on Broadway with what he had put on at West End? Or was he trying to do something different, new? Like, what was that like for you guys and the characters? No, that was really interesting, because yeah. I've always been a part of productions that have been set, for the most part. Broadway shows at least there I did some plays that weren't like that but you know you had the Grinch where the choreography was set they knew what it needed to look like and we were executing that vision you had Gypsy where you know the man who wrote it had done like 20 productions of it and he was directing it so he knew what he wanted um, specifically and we were executing again obviously you bring something original to the production but it's more set this was totally evolving in real time. Our choreographer, I've never seen anything uh, like our choreographer. She can reinvent wow. entire numbers in the span of five minutes, but to, wow. you know. Yeah, the dancing's incredible. the most beautiful degree. And she's an amazing dancer herself. She, I had all these way more intricate lifts than you saw on the show um, originally, but then we couldn't do them because of this giant dress. <laughs> she would do every lift like 40 times before I would do it. And yeah. Just to have a choreographer that's so active and involved, it was amazing. But so everything was really like living and breathing in real time. There was never really any sense of, oh, we're trying to be the London production. It was like, how do we create this story for Broadway? Mm -hmm. And how do we make it authentic to the people in the room? And so I would say there was almost like zero reference to what was going on in this other production. I never saw it. I don't think most of the people on our cast ever saw it. I guess we have access to the recording. I purposefully did not listen to it um, because I knew that what translated in London might not translate in the US the same. And so I wanted to not be fully informed by what was done in London, even though I know the stepsisters were like incredible. <laughs> um, you know, I wanted to just do something that was our own and that was built off of the chemistry I have with my sister in the show. And I mm -hmm. find if you spend too much time listening to other versions, then it ends up becoming that instead of its own thing. And I wanted to try and make it its own thing too, because that's what the people around us were kind of gravitating towards. Totally. Tell us about your um, chemistry and friendship relationship with Morgan, who plays the other stepsister. Um, how did you guys kind of, you know, build that good relationship and then kind of like, terrifying relationship after on the on stage yeah. I mean look you get to know each other very quickly when you're yeah. always working with the same people and we live in the same space 
too. We actually live close by to each other in New York, but also we live in the same dressing room. Um, and so that creates a, a closeness already. But I think early on, I was very adamant about figuring out times that we could spend time together away from work. So we had like a photo shoot at the beginning of the process. I did like a, a sister date <laughs> um, afterward so that we could bond. Um, when we were in rehearsals for this workshop that we did even before that, we made sure to be going out to lunch and to be getting to know each other, not in the rehearsal room, but outside of it. Because one thing I learned from Blue Bloods was you know, family translates not because of the work you do in the room, but because of the relationship you have outside of it. Mm, interesting. And I think that having understood that, it became a priority of mine to make sure that we were constantly connecting so that on stage, it really read like we were family. And the same with um, Carolee. I mean, she is like our, our other mom. We hang out backstage every day in between scenes. And I we're guess she's always together. a different type of mom than she is in the show. <laughs> she's wonderful. Oh my goodness. She is one of my favorite people. She calls it like it is. She is so uber talented. So talented. I love her. Oh, the two moms in the show are. Yeah. And too. Oh my God. I mean, I think that's such a masterclass in comedy. Every single night I just stand backstage and watch Grace and Carolee because Insane. when else are you going to get to see something like that? Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. And then what about your relationship with Cinderella or you and your other main <laughs> sister with your stepsister? How did that progress? And was there a relationship off the stage as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think that... I'm trying to make an effort as much as possible since we're not on stage together all that much, to be honest. All of, a lot of her scenes are alone or with Sebastian. And then when we are on stage together, I'm always screaming at her. So we're trying, <laughs> we're trying to find moments to like go get coffee or she has these wonderful um, parties that she hosts backstage every week so that people um, can all get together and so that we can see her because Oftentimes, you know, her, her scenes are very much alone or with Sebastian. Um, so that relationship has had to form off stage, probably more than on stage. Mm -hmm. um, and I love how you mentioned before that you learned from Blue Bloods that your relationships and chemistry translates more, mostly from the relationships that you've created off stage. Um, I know that you did just return or you're returning for the season finale, uh, the season 13 finale. Tell us a little bit about the relationships that you have created with that Blue Bloods family. Um, and, you know, you, you weren't necessarily in this past season. You left after season 12, but you came back for the finale. Yeah, I feel like the Reagans are my second family. I mean, I, I grew up with them since I was 14 years old. And I feel very fortunate to have grown up with such a wholesome group of people because I think that's a really transformative time in a teenager's life. And if you're not surrounded by the right role models, things can go awry, especially in quote unquote Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, I just had the most amazing family oriented, good value human beings surrounding me to give me an additional level of support. 
And I'm forever grateful for that. And I think getting to go back and to see all those people who, whose contributions to my life I'm so grateful for is a really special thing. And also to get to see them now in the context of that Cinderella um, and, and to have some of that family come see me. Um, oh, I'm wondering special. about that. They must <laughs> love it. And again, your role is so different. <laughs> they must be like, wait, is, is that? Sammy? <laughs> oh, Sammy up there? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's what you want as an actor. You want to be a chameleon. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, before we let you go, Sammy, because I know we are trying to rest those vocal cords, we've had you doing a lot of talking today. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure we talked about um, or anything that you wanted to, you know, make sure that fans know about Bad Cinderella uh, to get their tickets. <laughs> Our show is like dessert. That's yeah. my thing to say about it. It's two hours and 25 minutes of 120% fun. It is totally. Yes. I hope everyone comes and gets to experience that vibrancy and effervescent uh sets and and all of that joy amazing well thank you so much for joining the hollywood life podcast today and we can't wait to have you on again next time you're up to something whether it is producing starring in your own movie your own show anything like that we're so excited to always have you back thank yes. you so much and i hope that everybody listening um, gets a chance to, if you're not in New York, to come on in and to go and see Bad Cinderella. Um, we highly recommend it. It's so Love good. It. Thank yes. you so much. I appreciate yeah. that. Thanks, Sammy. Thanks for coming to see us. Thank you for having me. Always fun. <laughs>